coffee. What is it about coffee that makes it so damn good? Maybe it's the smell of coffee brewing that brings back that new to recovery feeling that we got when we first stepped into a meeting. Maybe it's the idea of holding on to one of the only things that still works for kickstarting our day. Maybe it's the way it brings us together, another one of the many things we have in common. Whatever it is, we in the recovery community love our coffee. And why not? Coffee is fuel. Coffee is love. Coffee is life. That's what makes Brainwash Coffee the perfect partner for us here at the Other Side of Hell podcast. Not only is every flavor of Brainwash Coffee mastered and handcrafted by obsessive minds who won't stop until they've gotten it just right, but 50% of all coffee proceeds go back into the recovery community to help those who may still be suffering, which makes Brainwash Coffee a no-brainer. My personal favorite is the higher powder. It's dark, smoky, and rich, and gives me just enough kick to really get into my day. Right now, you can go to brainwashcoffeeco.com and use promo code OTHERSIDE for 20% off your coffee purchase. Clean your bean with Brainwash. We at the Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists, doctors, or counselors. We're just two guys who have been through hell and come out the other side. Please be aware, we may talk about drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering. Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through our experience. Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together we can get better. What's up, world? I'm Willie. And I'm Cameron. And today we got a very special guest host. She's back. I'm back. Who are you? Katie. I'm Katie. Yes. Katie. Katie. Welcome back, Katie. Thank you. It's been a minute. I know. I'm super excited to be here again. You guys are yeah. awesome. So. We were so happy that you Yay. decided that we were cool enough for you <laughs> to, to make the back. drive yeah. not here. Yeah. It's totally it's, worth it. It's kind of a drive. <laughs> it, yeah. is, for Katie. it is a long drive, but it's, it's totally worth it. And, and, and there's, a, there's a specific reason that you're on here besides the fact that you're awesome, you're fun to talk to, and you know <laughs> stuff. But, you know, we want to talk about what it means to thrive. And that's kind of your... Mm. That's my your, expertise. That's your wheelhouse. That's your will. <laughs> yeah. That's my jam. I own it. Yeah, yeah. you own it. That. That's well, right. Oh my gosh. The two things that you do is you own and you thrive. That's yeah. right. That's me. And so we had, uh, we got a, a really uh, powerful story from Jesse mm-hmm. and her uh, journey through abuse and addiction and, and those things, you know, obviously the only person that we could have on to talk about that with us <laughs> is you. Me. And so, um, you know, we just, we look forward to having your opinion, your outlook, your experience, your strength, your hope and, and all those things that, but, um, you know, what have you been up to? <laughs> yeah. Tell us. Uh, it's just, I'm living the life right yeah. now. <laughs> you know, one of the things that was really hard with COVID and I know everybody's experienced it is I went into a really deep depression, yep. um, because it put me back into a controlling situation, just like my ex-husband. Mm. So because of that, I like sank into myself and shut out the entire world. So it put me back into be able to thrive again and learn how to be who I need to be and that it's okay. So my biggest thing recently is it's okay not to be okay. Right. Mm. And people don't understand that everybody is going through the same thing in one way or another. So I've been trying to grow from that, heal myself. Um, I just, my daughter just graduated from high school, so she's leaving me. So sad. (laughs) But other than that, working on Katie's Crazy Corner, working on a new deal. So 
Yeah. A new deal. A new uh, podcast. A new, new podcast. podcast. Yeah. And, and tell us a little bit about what that's going to be. So it is the dark side of heaven, the bright side of hell. And it is going to be a conversation for people that um, normally don't talk about things. So there's my inspirational, let's all heal together. And then there's the, we're going to get in the nitty gritty of Utah and talk about all the shit that people don't want to talk about. Um, because... Everybody has a story, but there's a lot of things that people don't want to talk about. So I am a very blunt person and I have no fear calling anybody out on anything. So we're going to talk all of the way from Mormonism to living in a state, not being Mormon to drugs, all of that and the above. So that's a new one coming out. Exciting. I'm excited for it. I'm super excited too. Yeah. And we'll we'll totally lend you hell. You can borrow. <laughs> well, hell thank you. Out of it. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> no, no, no. I was super excited, and I'm so glad to have you back. And I think it's thank it's you. it's been too long, and and I really appreciate um, your point of view on things. And and you know, we talk a lot about alcoholism and drug addiction on the show, mm-hmm. and but there's so much more to thriving um, than than we can get in an alcoholic recovery Mm -hmm. Um, and and so I think that it's important that uh, that we have somebody that doesn't necessarily um, fit the mold of what we might typically talk about yeah especially in a situation where we're talking about things that we've never experienced yeah like Jesse's story has to do with a lot of a lot of things that Willie and I don't know anything about yeah. And Katie, unfortunately, I or do. fortunately, yeah. knows I a lot about it. Has, has been through it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we can have compassion and we, we can try to understand it. And, and I think that we do on, I think most people do try to have that empathy and put themselves in, you know, how would I feel in this situation? Sure. But if, if, if you haven't been in there and we've experienced this with, with alcohol and drug addiction, um, recovery, um, where, if somebody's been through it, we generally trust their opinion on it a lot more than yeah. somebody who hasn't or somebody yeah. who has authority in it or says that they know something about it, you know. And so yeah. it, as empathetic as I would like to be and, and, you know, hopeful that this doesn't continue to go on and the more information that we get out there to people, the, the, the faster people are able to get out of these situations and start mm-hmm. thriving and recovering from this stuff. I just don't. I don't have any experience in that type mm-hmm. of control or that that type of environment. And so I think it's fitting that, <laughs> that we have this conversation because I want to yeah. know more about it. I want to know more about, you know, w- one of the things that um, Jesse does talk about and, and we'll get into it when she gets there is as what I would probably more likely be than someone being abused as a bystander or somebody that sees it whether I recognize it or don't recognize it, you know, I'd like to know a little bit more about something that I could do about it or how to approach it or how to talk to somebody that's in it, Mm -hmm. you know, how to open the conversation up about it Mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff. So I don't know where I'm going with it, but (laughs) no, I think that's a great starting point is like, what, what, what is some of the things that people as, you know, that are maybe in the position that Willie are, and I are in that we can maybe recognize or or do if we know that somebody is experiencing this in their life. Like we know as alcoholics, like sometimes we have to lovingly separate until somebody's willing to mm-hmm. accept the help. Right. Mm-hmm. Is that same thing sort of apply in this situation? So it, it's a little different. Um as somebody who is in an, was in an abusive relationship, when I had people approach me and tell me that I was in one, I 
shut it down. I was like, no, it's not a thing. You know, he loves me. It's, it's fine. And I, I got very, um, I shut down from everybody that said anything Mm. to me. I got defensive. Like that's, that's not a thing. So being in an abusive relationship, when somebody approaches you that you don't ask for help, then that person shuts down. And then they also can get in a lot of trouble. So if my ex-husband would have found out that I was talking to somebody about it, I would have gotten in trouble when I got home. Mm. Because then, you know, it gets out in the world and he's viewed as this bad person. And and so his reputation was more important than me and what was going on. So it was very hard. Um, My sister would try and tell me all the time. And then I actually just stopped talking to my sister Mm. because it was easier than dealing with my husband being upset Mm. at me. Um, but when somebody, if you can see the situation happening or, um, you might see the signs, but that person does not, the easiest thing to do is say, Hey, if you're having a hard time, I'm here for you when you're ready, right? Don't say, Hey, that man's abusing you. He's being an asshole. Like we need to do something because that's going to make him shut down. So just saying like, I see you, I believe you. I'm here for you when you want to talk, when you need help, Mm -hmm. whenever you need any of that. Because the more that you use the word abusive or beating or any of those things, people shut down, Mm. especially in a society where we don't talk about it. So you just have to be very careful in your words and then they'll know that you're a safe place. So when they are ready, they will come to you. It's the same thing. You have to make the decision internally to be able to leave. It's not something, you know, people, I got hit a lot of times and I still stayed. So until that click happens in your own head, you're going to make an excuse for everything that there is. Right. And it so. generally, it's not something that somebody's going to talk you into. Mm-hmm. Like, no, you need help. You need help. Let's get help. You need yeah. the help. And that just doesn't, that doesn't work. No. Like I, I, I appreciate what you said. And I know that that's how it's had to be with me, like with other alcoholics in my life or other people like that, that I know that are going through a hard time is like, sometimes the, the best thing I can do is like say, Hey dude, I love you. Mm-hmm. And when, when you're ready to get help, I'm here. Mm-hmm. And, and then be there. Right? And then, yeah. oh, and absolutely. And, you know, and I have been too. And, and, you know, there's been situations where I've said that to people and then they call eventually, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. when they call like, man, I'm ready. I'm willing. I'm fired up. Let's go. But until then. Well, and the, and the other side of that too, is if you have to be prepared when they don't reach out because they don't know what's happening, but you also have to be understand that it could be at any point in time. And when they say it, the first words you need to say is, I believe you. doesn't matter if you really don't understand what's going on, if you don't believe what's happening, whatever. But the, as soon as you question what they're saying to you, it's done. Mm. They're gone. They're not going to say anything because now they think you have the other person's back. Mm. So first words, just say, I believe you. What can I do to help you? Don't question it. Don't, well, are you sure? Did he really do that? I don't think he would do that. Because then you're just like, oh, okay, you're right. It's my fault. I deserved it. And they're not going to ask for help again. So those are the big keywords. When somebody says it to you, just say, I believe you. Wow. Yeah. That's actually super, super helpful. Yeah, it really is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you, like, I, well, let me just okay. interject yeah. because as, as a guy, like I'm thinking about in my relationship, like, um, I, I have a tendency and I think a lot of people have a tendency to want to fix it right there. Yep. Right. Like, like if somebody came to me and they're like, you know, this is happening, I'd be like, okay, how do I fix it right now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Well, and that's the manly thing, right? Right. You see a couple fighting on the side of the road, and the men get all big and bad, and I'm going to go beat his ass, and blah, blah, blah. It's, it's an instinctive thing for men to want to be able to defend somebody that they're seeing that happen to, right? So, and me, I'm a fixer. I want to fix everybody. But you can't. Right. It's not something that, I mean, like I said, I'm still healing nine, ten years later. Mm-hmm. I'm still fixing what I was and that's fine. So just knowing that it's, I believe you because a woman can sit here and say, you know, I was beaten and he raped me and all these other things. And I have to have proof. I have to have pictures. Mm. I have to have text messages. I have to have people that saw it. And the guy can say, well, I didn't do that. And everybody's like, Oh, yep. Okay. You're right. So Mm. a woman has to have backup. And I still, even to this day, even in my job, I won't go to the boss until I have all my backup information because of how my relationship was with my ex-husband to be able to prove what happened to me. So it's, it's hard. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I have to think that, you know, it's helpful. Well, I don't know. I was going to say, like, I have to think that there's, there's reasons for that. And I think that, you know, there, there is a sense of, I'm sure there's instances where, where, you know, false accusations fly and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, there's repercussions for men who are innocent. And so there has to be that level of proof. And I think that it's worth, it's worth mentioning that because while it does seem unfair or, you know, maybe overcautious, like there's, there's definitely reasons that there, that there has to be that proof. And I, and I, and I understand that, you know, I've been on the other side where I've had friends who have been accused and the woman doesn't get in trouble for accusing right. when it really didn't happen. So I see both sides and this can happen to men too, where women beat the man and it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's the whole same situation, but all of that aside and whatever the legal system says, whatever it is, as a person, as a kind human being, the best thing you can do with any situation, when anybody comes to you for any help and tells you a story, just say, I believe Yeah, you. we're here for support, not, yeah. to, not to fix it, not to change it, not to... Just listen. Yeah, not to right. create the, the, the punishment for it. Mm-hmm. We're here to support. And it's right? a, I believe you, and what can I do to help you? Yeah. What do you need right now? Just a hug? Okay. Yeah, that's a great point. So... One, one thing I wanted to, uh, to mention is we originally, when we originally decided that we were going to do the show, um, we had talked about the topic of, uh, of what it means to be a survivor no. and, and Katie does not like that I word. Don't. Well, she, she was a survivor. At I one was time. a survivor at one point, but now I am a thriver. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. Tell me, tell me a little bit about, uh, about your, your lack of the word or your disdain for the word survive and what it means to thrive as opposed to survive. Okay. So for me, surviving is being stuck in a victim mindset. So when you're surviving, you're fighting a daily battle every day. You're trying to dig yourself out of a hole. You feel like you're not going anywhere and it's just a step after a step and you, you take three steps forward and five steps back. And so you're literally just trying to survive every day. You're stuck in a victim, poor woe me, I can't do anything right. And, and I was there, right? It took me a long time to get out of that. But there were certain things that I, I have done for myself that have worked very well. And, and we'll talk about them in a second. But once I got to that point and I was like, I'm, I'm not a victim. Just because I went through what I went through, I don't need to title myself a victim. 
Um, so for me now, every day I get to thrive. Every day I get to wake up and I get to show the world that I am an inspiration, that I am a hope, and that other people can do that too. So thriving is being able to put out to the universe what I want in return, being able to wake up every day and smile and not have to look behind my back because I feel like I did something wrong. So for me, it's literally just living my life to the full capacity that I can because that's what's important for me. Yeah. Well, I, I love it. And I, when you, when you're talking about it, I can see that the distinction between I survived this mm-hmm. and not I'm because sur- when you're in it, you're surviving it. It makes mm-hmm. me think of like, uh, and, and I don't know if this is a bad example or not, but it makes, <laughs> it makes me think of like primitive man, right? Like, like every day we would get up and we would mm-hmm. go out and we would hunt for berries and, mm. and fish. And, and you like, didn't know if you were going to make it You didn't know if you were going to make it that day mm-hmm. or not, if you were going to eat that day or not, you know, and, yeah. and you were surviving or people in concentration camps who are just getting yeah. by every day or people that are in an abusive relationship mm-hmm. at that, in that moment where from one day to the next, you don't know if you're going to live or your children are going to live or mm-hmm. any of that stuff. And so I, I mm-hmm. think it's a great, uh, analogy. I survived and now I thrive. Mm-hmm. So. And the more that you think about it, right? Like I know people to this day that went through a similar situation or, you know, whatever else, their story holds, but they are still stuck in a victim mindset. So they tell me, yeah, I'm a survivor, but they're still stuck in, oh, poor me. Mm -hmm. Nothing is working out for me. I can't get a job. I can't do all these things. Well, I understand that, but you are not a victim. You will never be a victim again if you don't allow yourself to do that. So every day that you wake up, you have a choice and you have a choice of how you're going to react to the world. Mm -hmm. And you have a choice on how, you know, you can't control how other people treat you or react to you. The only thing that you truly have a choice for every day is how you're going to be, how you're going to react to the things that are around you. So if you choose to be a thriver every day, you will be a thriver. If you yeah. choose to be a victim or a survivor, you're going to be stuck in a small little box and it's going to suck. So yeah. <laughs> well, I think everybody at this table has been there. I, I dare say. And, yeah. and, and yeah, I mean, I think it is a choice that we make on a daily basis. Like, mm-hmm. and, and I think we've all had those people in our lives that are like, we, we have no control over those things that happen to us. The only thing yeah. we can control is our response to those things. So what are, what are we going to let those things do to us? Are we going to let those things destroy us? Are we going to let those things define our future? Mm-hmm. Or are we going to thrive in, in, in spite of those? Mm-hmm. Are we going to own our story? Own it. I love Register it. trademark, katiescorner.com. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Except it's katiescrazycorner.com. Katiescrazycorner.com. <laughs> and you can find it on our YouTube channel. We do support yes. it. So. That's right. I love it. Um, yeah. And, and so I, I really appreciate this conversation. And I love, um, you know, that we're, we're able to sort of look at this perspective. Because I think the, the, the point that I want to make is that language is important, Mm -hmm. right? Like if we constantly have that moment of, of just saying, Hey man, I'm a survivor. It's like, yeah, it's true. I am a survivor. Like Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways I have survived a lot of things and there's things about my story that I can definitely look at and be like, fuck man, I should not be here. Mm -hmm. Like, and the fact that I am here is amazing. Um, but I really appreciate you you bringing it back to that sort of uh, victim mindset because mm-hmm. for me I know that a big part um, of the ism it was what we talk about here is is alcoholism or um, you know 
pick your ism, right? Um, <laughs> will will have me, um, you know, in this ball of self pity, mm-hmm. and self pity will always lead me back to that negative behavior, that victim mindset. Exactly. Poor me mm-hmm. because of my past. Poor me because of my past. Did you know it takes fifteen seconds to change a thought in your mind? That's Did a you long know? Time. But if you continually think the same thought for fifteen seconds. I am amazing. I am beautiful. I am outstanding. I have all of these things for 15 seconds. Then the next minute, all of my thoughts are going to be positive thoughts. So when you're stuck in a victim mindset Mm. or you're in a slow funk, I mean, I wake up and there's days where I'm like, man, I just don't feel it today. I don't look good. Like I don't want to do anything, but I take that time in the morning and all I do is your morning affirmations, 15 seconds say all the amazing things you want to say about yourself. And then I promise you the rest of your day, it's going to be positive thoughts. You get to control. You have a choice every day of what your mind is thinking, which is weird, right? Now, it's now, your mind. How did you, how did you come to that? Because, uh, you were sharing a minute ago that you thrive now and we'll mm-hmm. get to how mm-hmm. you thrive now. So mm-hmm. obviously that's, that's one of the ways, but mm-hmm. how did you, how did you get to that point? Like, get to the point of being able to have the positive thoughts or, yeah, like, well, let's talk about, yeah, let's talk about your process of going from just surviving to, to thriving. Yeah. Wow. We want to hear <laughs> all about it. Katie. All about it. Um, you know, it's, it's a really interesting question and my story and my my choices are what work with me. Right. Mm-hmm. And I have people, again, you guys know I'm a life coach. So I, I coach people with what they, what they need to do for them. That's going to help them. The easiest thing that started this journey for me was I decided that I was not going to allow him to win anymore. I made the choice that every day I was going to wake up and I was going to smile because every day I smiled was a day that he didn't win over me. So I woke up every day And I sat in my bed and I just smiled and I giggled and I thought whatever I could. And that started that snowball effect. So then once I was able to wake up and I was able to smile, then I would turn on music, happy, jumpy, let's dance around music. And that would put you in the mindset for the day that things are going to be great. And then as you kind of just take small steps in doing those things, you find things that are comfortable for you. So... Um, like you're going through your day, you're having a great day and somebody at work says something stupid to you and it just triggers you and you go back into this, Oh man, I hate everybody. In that moment, you have a choice of how you're going to react. So taking a second, understanding that what they're saying is not addressed directly towards you and they can choose whatever they want. If they want to be miserable, let them be over there and be miserable. I get to choose how what they're saying affects me. Mm-hmm. So they're going to tell me that my outfit looks bad and my shoes don't match. I'm like, well, that's awesome. I love the way I look. <laughs> like, I'm, good, I'm good with it, right? So I get to choose how I react to every situation. So once I started going through all of that, I literally just started picking up books. And I haven't, I don't think I've actually finished a book because <laughs> I start reading one and then I find a subject and I'm like, Ooh, that'd be cool. So then I go over to the next one and I pick that one up and I start rabbit reading that. Rabbit hole after rabbit yeah. hole. Yeah. But that, it gave me so many different outlooks. So I tell my clients all the time, I want you to start a book. I don't want you to read a book a week because a lot of people don't have time to do that. Do I think it's important? Yes. Is it logical? Not really. So I tell them, pick up a book. When you get to a topic that you're like, Holy cow, that really excites me. Go find another book, pick it up, read that book. Right. Because Knowledge is power. And the more that you can reconfigure your mind and you can put in the positive thoughts and get rid of that victim mindset of, oh, woe's me. I don't know how to do any of this. And you can think, well, hold on. This book told me that if I do this, that's going to work. So then your brain is starting to reconfigure itself into positive thoughts based off of what you're reading. So that's really all I did. 
started started rewiring your brain I did. through does it I through did. action let me let me ask you like on that note does it feel like there had to be a certain level of acceptance because i think what i hear you talking about is knowledge is power and mm-hmm. you were able to uh, you know really go through all this information for me like i wasn't i wasn't really willing to to uh, be open to those mm-hmm. to that information until i had accepted on the like the fact that on some sort of level like my thinking is a little skewed Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. I think that for me like acceptance was a big part of that process of like you know what like I don't know everything Mm -hmm. and and I think for me I had to get to a point where I had gotten my ass kicked enough that I was humble enough to Mm -hmm. accept the fact that I obviously don't know everything. (laughs) I keep fucking it up over Mm -hmm. and over and over. Like, so I really need to be open to new information and new ideas. Mm -hmm. And I know it's funny because even though, you know, our stories aren't necessarily the same, there's so much to it that, that is alike. Because for me, like in those first days of recovery, I was a sponge, man. Mm -hmm. Like I just picked up book after book and like all these new ideas were just blowing my mind. I would have conversations with people who would throw ideas my way that I never thought I would entertain. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was such an important part of my journey. Mm -hmm. And so I appreciate you sharing that because I think that there is probably a lot of people out there that that need to hear like, Hey man, like just go for it. Whatever you can find. Mm -hmm. Like, and and that's the thing is my story, like you said, is different than yours and yours and the healing is going to be different. So that's what worked for me. You know, one of the other things that I did is I kept a journal and I wrote down literally everything. And then I actually wrote letters to the people that hurt me. Mm. That doesn't mean I mailed them. It doesn't mean I sent them out. But I wrote down everything that I wanted to say. And I actually thanked them for helping me to become the person that I am. Not because of what they did. Like I didn't, it wasn't a thank you for beating my ass because now I'm, you know, this way. It's a, hey, right. thank you for teaching me what I deserve. Thank you for teaching me that I am a good mother because I protected them from you. You know, I I spun it around to understand that even though you caused me so much pain, I am here to learn a lesson. Mm. And that was the lesson I got to learn. And now my purpose is to help other people learn that same lesson. So I just, I forgave them. I wrote letters and I was just like, again, one of the things I do is I go sit under the moon and I talk to the moon. So I read my letters out loud and I, when I was done, I ripped them up and threw them away. So therapeutic. But, yeah. It really is, mm-hmm. you know, just to get it out of you. Cause it's not, a, mm-hmm. it's not about them. No. Right. It's, and that's it, the power. It, it never has been. But that's when you're in a narcissistic relationship or an abusive relationship, they prey on the weak. Right. That's well, in their mind, we're weak, but really they're preying on people that are very powerful because that's where they get their power. Mm. They take the power away from you to make themselves more powerful. So once you're able to let that go and realize I am a bad bitch, like that's not mm. because of you. <laughs> like you did this to me because of who I am. And, as and a you person. were duped, right? It's mm-hmm. not like it's. It, it, yeah. It, even in Jesse's story, it doesn't sound like he came in and was like, "Hey, I'm this giant asshole," and <laughs> yeah. I, I and I yeah. would you, yeah. I would appreciate it if you know I could mm-hmm. beat on you and and make you feel low. Like you were yeah. duped, and and it seems like that's the standard for that. Mm-hmm. You know, people will come in 
uh, with some selfish motive, whether they know it is or not, right? Mm-hmm. Like a lot of, mm-hmm. maybe, I don't know that much about it, but maybe they don't even know that they're going to be this yeah. type of, of, of person. And then yeah. it begins like with Jesse's story. And again, we'll get into it. Like she got sick, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know how that everything leads up to it, but, um, when you're tricked into it and then you continue to try to be who you are and they continue to take that power from you to feed themselves. I imagine it becomes addicting to them mm-hmm. and you just continue to want to fix it. Like, I just want to fix this because I loved the person that you were. introduced me mm-hmm. that, that I met when, when I fell in love with that person. And, yeah. and at some point, you know, I remember you telling in your story, like at some point you get so low mm-hmm. and then something happens that snaps you out of it. Yeah. You know, yep. and, and all of a sudden here you are ready to fight for your life again. <laughs> Literally. And, 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 yeah. your, and your children, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of times there's, there's children involved and I know that's part of your story. All of a sudden snap, yeah. I'm done. Yep. And, and you made, you made a decision. And so I, I, I love that. Well, and it's one of those things. And, and I remember we talked about it before too, is I remember, and, and I tell my girls now they're old enough to understand that I can tell you exactly when my soul broke. Mm. I can tell you exactly where I was, what I was wearing, what he was doing. Like I know to a T and that's my power now, right? I go back to that moment and I'm like, I am never going to be that person ever again. Mm. You know, so then I got to rebuild who I am and my soul just got stronger and better. And it was, it was him coming at me and my girls stepping in the middle and me just mama bear moment. Like, uh-uh, <laughs> don't touch my kids. So t- t- tell us a little bit about, do you mind? Would you like my, my so snap he, moment? Yeah. Or? So he was, he was coming at you to, <laughs> yeah. So we, I don't even like something was happening outside. And one of the things I would tell my girls, well, my oldest, you know, go hide with your sister. And she would have to take her sister and go hide in the master closet in the very back. So he couldn't find her. She'd shut the door and it was this safe space for them. And I had said this to her and I was trying to get up the stairs after them and he was following me and we couldn't make it. And so we made it into my daughter's, my youngest daughter's bedroom and they were huddling in the corner and I, I had my arms around them and I was trying to do the best that I could. And he was coming at me and my oldest daughter broke away from me and stood in between him and I and said, don't hurt my mommy. Mm. And as soon as I heard those words, like there was just this thing. I was like, what in the hell am I doing? Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's my daughter. She's what, I think she was like six or seven. And she's standing up to a 200 pound man right now because her mom, who is supposed to be protecting her, literally doesn't know who she is or what she's doing. And so my child is going to. And so that for me was that moment where I was like, this is not that she can't, she can't be this. Like, that's not fair for my child to have to live in this moment. And so I got into space and I learned the hard way that you don't get in somebody's face like that. But at the time that's, I didn't care. There wasn't anything that was going to stop me from him hurting my children. So that was that moment for me where it snapped everything. We kicked him out. And then, you know, my story progressed from there and I ended up having to get a protective order and mm. all know, the legal and, stuff started. And, and then the, it just the progressed from there, you know, and it didn't ever get easier. Um, finally, this many years later, you know, it's gone a little easier with him. He lives his life. I live mine. Um, I do keep tabs just so that I know where he is versus where my daughter is going to be uh-huh. because he has no rights to her at this point. Um, so I do keep tabs on that for that situation. But one of the hardest things that it is for a woman 
or man, I guess, coming out of an abusive relationship is you feel like you need to keep tabs on that person. So you even, you'll know, you'll create a different mm. Facebook account so you can get on and see what they're doing on Facebook or a different Instagram so you can check what they're doing. Like, are they happy? Like, what are, are they really happy? Because secretly you're like, oh man, I hope he's miserable. Right, yeah. Like I was mm-hmm. like, you don't deserve that because of what you did to me. But as soon as you can stop doing that, you're relinquishing the power that they had over you again. Mm, right. So it was just probably three or four years ago that I was like, yep, I don't care anymore. Like, nice. I want you to be happy. Go do your thing. That's you. I have my girls. That's all I need. So, yeah. Well, I appreciate that because yeah. it's, it's good to know that, uh, that there's a process to this, this whole deal. Like yeah. you, that, that situation that you're talking about, you said, I think was nine or 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and three or four years ago is the point where you, you decided to no longer stock quote unquote, mm-hmm. um, this individual and, and yeah. so I, I like hearing about these different stages of, of your, I'll call it Process. recovery. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. and, and, uh, and, and hearing like the growth that happens in each state. And I think it's important for people to know that I, I, this is not an overnight deal. No, no, right? no, no, like, no, no, no. Yeah. Like this is not Mm-mm. something that, that, uh, that you're immediately just okay once you're out of that situation. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's one of the biggest questions I get with coaching people is when am I going to be better? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, when you figure it out, let me know. Yeah, it comes in moments, right? Yeah. Like it comes it's, in moments. It really does. And and again, I'm nine, ten years after the fact, and I'm still healing. Right. Right? And then I fell backwards. And so now I'm healing again. But the, the cool thing for me is even though I fell, I got to learn and sit in the emotions, own everything about it, and then I got to grow from those again. So everything in life happens for a reason. And it all happens exactly at the moment that it's supposed to happen. And if you're willing to sit in it, feel the emotions, own what it is, you get to learn the lesson and you get to move on for the next time. Mm-hmm. Right? But if you don't, you have a lesson or a consequence. If you choose the lesson, you get to learn, you get to grow, you get to heal, you get to move forward. If you choose the consequence, well, you're screwed. Like you, you, you get to choose again what you want it to be. And I tell my clients all the time, I'm still healing. Yeah. You could be two years down the road. You could <laughs> 20 years down the road. I don't know. But as long as you continuing to own it, love it, feel it, and just live life, no expectations and go for it. You're going to be great. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think too, one of the, one of the important things I think in that instance is we really have to change our definition of what better is. Like, yep. when am I going to get better? Well, what exactly <laughs> is better? Like, yeah. I know in my, in my story, like I used to have this attitude of like, man, there was a time in my life before drugs and alcohol were a problem mm-hmm. where I was killing it, quote unquote. Right. Like I was, you know. I had all these friends. I was exercising all the time. I was healthy. It was, you know, I didn't have any problems at work. I had money, yada, 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 right? And there was this part of me that when I was going through, and then, of course, I lost all that because of drugs and alcohol. (laughs) Um, But there was a part of me, like, when I was going through treatment that was like, man, I can't wait to get back to that. Mm -hmm. And it was like, dude... Like, that ship sailed. Yeah, that, Mm -hmm. that ship is sailed. But the thing that I realized is... I get to be better than that. Mm -hmm. Like I now have this new experience to draw on Mm -hmm. where I get to, I get to be so much better than it was before. And I, you know, and I, I'm in that state now where it's like, dude, 
you know, that, that time that I was quote unquote killing it, I was also miserable inside, mm-hmm. you know, you didn't know yourself. Yeah. You didn't I didn't have I didn't a direction. Know myself. I, I, yeah, absolutely. Like all these things, right? Like I, there was just no self-awareness. Like, um, my level of selfish and self-centeredness was through the roof. Yeah, childish. A lot of ego, yeah. you know, just you name it. Right. But, mm-hmm. and now it's like, because I've had this experience that I've had to go through and I've fallen completely flat on my face and been dragged across the concrete for however long and then picked myself up mm-hmm. and rebuilt myself, you know, from the ground up. It's like, dude, I'm so much better than I was before. So sort of changing my idea of what it meant to be better quote unquote is was really important part of my journey like Mm -hmm. you know what you may never be like that again but you'll be to a point where you're just so much happier with yourself if as long as you strive to be different tomorrow than you are today it's going to be amazing let that be better the same like whatever it is as long as you're different tomorrow than you're feeling right now you'll be good yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. That always happens anyway. <laughs> I, I never get the same feeling tomorrow <laughs> as I have today. I try to recreate it. And, you know, I'll, 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 I'll do different shit, try to recreate the same feeling tomorrow as I did today, and it doesn't happen. Yeah, right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and that's a good thing, right? Uh, yeah. Like, I think that that's, that's how it needs to be. And, and one thing I really like, too, that... That you keep talking about, Katie, is um, is the things you do on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Like there are things that we have to do on a daily basis, and there is work. You talked about journaling, um, mm-hmm. and there's written work that we need to do. Writing these letters, mm-hmm. um, you know, all a part of your process and healing. And that's the thing too is that we we have to do the work. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just yeah. there's work that has to be done. Like. This is the only way we're going to move past that stuff. Like, it's not enough for us to be out of these situations. It's not enough for us to put the bottle down. It's not enough for us to, you know, to, to step away from these situations. We have to be willing to, to look at the hard stuff, to swallow the hard facts about ourselves, the hard truths, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and, and put ourselves back together. Mm-hmm. And I think that I, I love hearing, you know, the different stories that, that we always get to, to listen to and hear and, and having you here and, and, uh, and how much the solution is just so similar. Mm-hmm. Like it, it always comes back to doing hard work, hard work, uncomfortable work. Mm-hmm. Like that's the thing is like, it sucks to look at this shit, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. but it, it's, you know, the, the benefit that we get from it is just, it's mind blowing. Well, and the other part of it though, too, for me is I didn't, I understand that it is hard work. It's not easy. It's sad. It's scary. It hurts. I get that. But if you're going to look at it as hard work, it's going to be hard work and you're going to procrastinate it and you're not going to do it. Mm. Right. So taking little baby steps and understanding that it's okay to not be okay. Like even for me last week, I was not okay. Right. But I made sure people knew like, Hey, I'm struggling today. Mm. I'm not okay. But I know as a reminder to myself, and it's on Facebook, like it was a, I'm struggling. This is what's happening. It's okay not to be okay. But as a reminder to myself, I am beautiful. I am strong. I'm going to make it. I can do it again tomorrow. Tomorrow's a new day. Yep. Right. And I had so many people just reach out and say, oh my gosh, I was feeling the exact same way. It's okay 
to not be okay. Just take little steps. The work is hard, but only if you allow it to be hard. So start short, start easy. Don't dive in and think you have to heal the entire world tomorrow. Like know that it's going to be a process. And just I want to heal the entire world tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Don't (laughs) y'all. Yeah. It's not how it works, Willie. No, sadly. Yeah. No, I, I, I really appreciate that. You know, the, the work is, is going to come regardless, right? Mm -hmm. Whether, whether, um, we want it to or not. And, and you bring up a a really great point that, you know, this is on, on all of our behalf, you know, this is a life and death errand. And, and if we look at it as if we have one life, we have one life to live that, um, you can either like live it Mm -hmm. and do the work to put it in and put in the work to live your life, or you're going to put in the work to exist, Mm -hmm. you know, and so many people are just existing, Mm -hmm. you know, through, medication and you know poor diets and not not getting into the underlying issues of why they hate themselves or their mm-hmm. lives or their situations staying in that victim mindset and I, it's just something that doesn't happen on this side of the table right yeah. like on this side of the table we thrive because we survived mm-hmm. right and we exactly have that right. we have that com- comparison and and we really are the lucky ones to mm. have been able to go through some really messed up shit, <laughs> you know, and then come out the other side with a smile on our face and, and be grateful for those situations because for whatever reason we were given perspective on it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Well, and one of the things too that <laughs> my dad said to me growing up, and I never understood it until recently, he would always tell me that you're not the only one that's going through what you're going through. You're not, mm-hmm. right? And he used to use it when I'd go to the store. and Or like, um, I don't know, I went to a restaurant and my steak was cooked wrong. And he'd be like, you're not the only person that's had to go through this. You don't go talk to them. It'll be fine. They'll know what to do. You can't be the only one that's had to deal with this. So for me, I now use that in my daily life, right? I'm not the only person that is healing. I'm not the only person in the world that was in a domestic violent relationship. I'm not the only one that's a single mom. I'm not the only one, like... There are so many other women and men in this world that are going through or are going through the same thing that I am. And as long as I'm willing to speak about it, use my voice, not be afraid to own my feelings, then I either get to be hope and inspiration for those people or those people are going to do the same thing for me because society has told us to not talk about it. Like Mm -hmm. it's just taboo. Nobody says anything. But for me, I'm going to break the silence and I'm going to say whatever the hell I want to because I know somebody else in this world is going through the exact same thing that I am right now. So if I can reach somebody else and that person can help me, I'm great with it. Mm -hmm. So just don't be afraid to be vulnerable and to speak out on how you're feeling and know that if you're a man and you want to get on camera and cry, cry. Cause I promise you there'll be like 10 or 15 people that come at you and go, Oh man, I was feeling that really good. Like, thank you for being brave enough to talk Mm -hmm. about it because people don't. So as long as you can own all of your feelings, every time I say it, I think about you (laughs) every time I say it, (laughs) but if you own your feelings and understand that you're not the only person, it makes it a little bit easier every day. Cause then you don't feel like you're alone in the world. Yeah. So just know that's, you're never alone. That's and, and that's a great point, you know, talking about you not being the only one because that brings us to Jesse. Yeah. Who who uh, is is direct proof that um you're not the only one. Yeah. And she is not the only one. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so um this has been a really great conversation, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm excited I'm excited to segue into Jesse's story because yeah. 
we got so much of this conversation from her story, mm-hmm. you know, and you had the opportunity to listen to it before mm-hmm. the show. And Oh, man, um, I connected <laughs> in like a deeper level with this woman. It was it's amazing. Yeah. 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 Cameron, what do you? I think it was great. I'm excited to share it with people because I think, you know, to your point, I think it is important that people recognize that there's so many angles to to trauma. There's so many mm-hmm. different angles to drugs and alcohol recovery. There's there's so many different elements and I think that it's important that people hear all sides of it so yeah. that they find something that they can identify with so that they know that there's hope. And I think that that's the that's one of the main reasons why we're so inclined to share these stories over and over and over again is that, you know, her story might touch one person, but that one person is going to get something from it that will forever change their lives. Yeah, I love it. And one person matters. And one person absolutely matters. Yeah, everybody here is one person. So, yeah, I, I, what do you say? Like, I think. Let's, let's uh, do it. Let's let everybody else in the world hear her story. Mm-hmm. So without further ado, here is Jesse's story. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm an addict and alcoholic in recovery. I'm also a survivor. When I say survivor, I want you to understand exactly what that means. I didn't just, you know, use, and I didn't just destroy my life or my children's lives. I've survived everything from attempted murder to domestic violence, human trafficking, self-harm, mental illness, eating disorders, you name it, I've done it. My story, to get the full picture, we're gonna have to start at the beginning, the very beginning. My first memory, my first earliest memory wasn't a happy one. My dad was narcissistic and my mom, the only thing she ever wanted to be was a mom. That really wasn't gonna work out for my dad. They fought, he hurt her, she hurt him. And the end result was that she went to work one day, got a phone call letting her know that a laundry basket with her clothing was at the Holiday Inn and that her kids were gone. I was too young to really understood what that meant. However, I knew that I didn't have a mom. Growing up, my grandparents were wonderful people. However, back then, they sided with my dad. And every single day, instead of hearing about how amazing we were and how much they loved us, it was a constant, your mom is a piece of shit. Your mom left you. Your mom didn't even want you. I was a little girl. The only thing I wanted was my mom. Unfortunately, she was broken herself, 
but she loved us the best that she could. You know, that old mom thing. As long as I can love him through it. She chased us. And chased us. And then chased us some more. When I was seven, I thought that things were finally going to settle down. Lived with my grandparents and my dad. Saw my mom occasionally. It wasn't great, but I was pretty sure for a seven-year-old that it was about the best that it was ever going to get. I was really fucking wrong. My dad met this woman named Linda. The woman was evil, and there's absolutely no other way to explain that. She had lost her two teenage boys to this state for sexual deviation. For anybody that doesn't know, it means she's having sex with her own kids. Yeah, disturbing, right? My dad helped that woman get her kids back, put them back into that situation. And it didn't stop there like he did before he packed us up in the middle of the night and he disappeared. I don't remember why we left. The only thing that I really knew is that on that day, I was wearing my favorite California Raisins t-shirt, some turquoise shimmer spandex pants, and I was going to school. But I didn't go to school. We briefly stopped at the school. And it was right then and right there that I remember looking at my older brother and saying, we're leaving again. He moved us all the way to Oklahoma. From Pennsylvania to Oklahoma. And we were not even allowed to call my mom and let her know. A seven-year-old and nine-year-old were in a hotel room somewhere in Indiana trying to figure out how to work the hotel room telephone so that we could call our mom and let her know that we were already gone. I'm pretty sure it killed her when she found out that we were no longer in the state. While we lived in Oklahoma, things were bad. Actually, bad is not even an appropriate way to describe that. It was fucking horrific. Linda was emotionally abusive. She was mentally abusive. And unfortunately, she was sexually abusive. I mean, obviously, she had lost her own kids. What she did to her boys changed them forever. And you know that saying, hurt people hurt people? 
That's exactly what happened. I remember being so excited. It was about seven and a half by this time. And we went out to the garage because her boys had a surprise for my brother and I. Everything had always been so bad. Surprise, fuck yeah. It was a tent fort that they had built in the garage, specifically for my brother and I. Still to this day, at 35 years old, I can't even enter a tent. Can't even look at one. Every single day, her boys would take my brother and I, and we would go out to the garage, and we would play. Only it wasn't the kind of playing that a seven, nine-year-old, and two teenage boys should have been doing. That was my first real experience. And I learned very young that people only wanted me for one thing. What was that one thing? My body in my face because, oh, and I heard it every day that I was absolutely beautiful. Those two teenage boys would absolutely have their way with me. And is that wasn't bad enough? They would make my brother watch, force him very literally. And if we didn't comply, it got violent. And it got violent very, very quickly. That went on for over two and a half years. My dad finally left that woman, but not for the reasons that you would think. It wasn't because his children had completely changed physically, emotionally, and mentally. No, that's, that didn't matter. My dad found out that she was cheating on him. So like he always did, packed us up in the middle of the night and ran again. We came right back to Pennsylvania and right back to my mother who was waiting for us. Still, to this very day, if you ask my mother, she'll tell you. The first time she saw her children, she knew. She knew that something very, very wrong had happened to us. She brought us treats to school and we hid from her. Now, after not seeing her for two and a half years, you would think 
that the only thing we would want was to hug her and hold her. That wasn't the case at all. By that point, my siblings and I, we had already developed serious post-traumatic stress, something called touch aversion. If you don't know what that is, it very literally means you form a negative response to any sort of touch, not just that. You can't hug someone out of love or compassion or hold someone's hand just to let them know that you're there. That didn't exist for us anymore. And I wish I could tell you that my parents got us help, but that simply wasn't the case. This was back in the early 90s. Things were were a lot different back then. Nowadays, we talk about trauma. We talk about mental illness. They want you to be open. They want you to seek help. Back in the 90s, things just weren't that way. My mother took us to be evaluated twice. And on both occasions, she was told that there was absolutely nothing wrong with her children other than that they were being heavily disciplined. Oh, we absolutely were being heavily disciplined. Unfortunately, in my childhood years, there were no safe spaces. If I was at my grandparents' house, then I was with my dad. And he was extremely abusive, physically, mentally, emotionally. I was about 10 whenever I recall him beating the shit, I mean fists, out of my brother because my brother touched his weight bench. The crazy thing about all that, my brother wanted to work out so that he could get tough. He could fight back. So that he could protect us in a way that nobody else ever was going to. If we were at my mom's, even worse. No, she wasn't abusive. And she was absolutely loving and compassionate and strong. However, my entire life, she had only ever accepted the love that she felt she deserved. Considering her childhood was nothing but trauma as well, I bet you can guess. If I wasn't getting the shit beat out of me, then I was watching it happen to my mom. It broke my heart. But that's not all it did. It literally became everything and anything that I ever knew. For me, 
once I hit about 12, I really made the strong connection that I was pretty and that people like that. I used it to my advantage every chance I could. On the contrary, that meant people took advantage of me all the time. I started using substances regularly when I was about 12. I was a full-blown alcoholic by the time I was 13. For me, there was no choice. I remember the first time I hit a J, I was 10. And I remember feeling better. And I chased that for the rest of my life. It was the only thing that had ever made me feel better. Some sort of substance. And obviously, because I made the connection at 12 to use myself physically, I really had to use, I had to drink. I had to do anything so that I could participate. Otherwise, I couldn't even do it. At 35 years old, I can literally, literally say that I can count on one hand, the times that I have been with somebody intimately sober. The thought terrifies me. When I was 15, I had my first day in inpatient psych. Guess what? That was my 15th birthday present. Very literally. I was pulled into the principal's office at school. And he sat and he talked to me like everything was normal. And then my mom and dad walked in. Because by 15, I had developed another addiction. Self-harm. I was cutting myself everywhere and anywhere. And I didn't care who saw it. It wasn't something I tried to hide. By 15, I was done being a physical object. And I truly thought that if I mutilated myself, then nobody would want to bother with me. I mean, right? Who would want the girl that was covered in cuts and burns and scars? Is dead ass wrong. When I got home from the hospital, everything in my life changed. I wasn't allowed home. I had to go stay with family in the city about an hour away. Everything changed. But I dealt with it, right? Because that's what I did. Life was never going to be great for me. I, I had resonated with that years ago. I knew that there was nothing great that was coming. And then when I was 16, I took another blow. 
my mom decided that there was nothing left for her in Pennsylvania. And this time, she ran away. I wasn't able to handle that very well. I stopped going to school. And the only thing I did was drink and smoke pot and do lines of coke on my kitchen table in front of my little sister. I slept with a different person every night and honestly couldn't even tell you who half of them were. Didn't care. For me, it was just another way to numb what I didn't want to feel, which was more pain. About six months after my mom moved, I decided that that was it. I just, I couldn't survive without her. So I went to Illinois. And when I got there, it wasn't my mom that I had. In her place was a very broken, very alcoholic friend. I no longer had a mom. I had someone that I could party with. And I had someone who thought that I was old enough to manage my own life. And so I did. One night she went to work and she bought me a bottle of vodka. I said, Jess, here, have some friends over. Just, you know, you know the rules. Don't leave the house. Ah, eh, fuck those rules. Fuck those rules. So I left the house. Found myself at a house party. And like I always did, found myself in a bedroom with somebody I didn't even know. That person that I didn't even know, my son Gavin's father. I got pregnant at 17. And my world came crashing down. How in the hell was I gonna raise a kid? It terrified me. My whole life had been nothing but one series of bad events after the other. I didn't want that. But there was something that I couldn't let go of. Love. The love that I felt for that peanut-shaped alien thing in my stomach. Oddly enough, that man that I didn't know, he hunted me down, found me at work, told me that he couldn't stop thinking about me and that he didn't even know my name. 
Hi, my name is Jess. I'm pregnant. Surprise! <laughs> I really tried to make it work with Gavin's dad. I mean, I really, really tried. I dropped out of school and went to night school. I graduated before the rest of my high school class even walked that stage. I had Gavin, kept working, kept going to school, and I got married because in Southern Illinois, teenager or not, it's a different culture. If you get married or if you get pregnant, you're getting married. That's just how it works. And for a moment, just a moment, I thought that maybe this is what life is supposed to look like. Maybe this is it. Until life inevitably kicked me in the ass again. Found out I was having an affair. And not only had he had an affair, but she was pregnant. My life exploded again. I bet you can guess what I did. I turned to what I knew. Drugs, alcohol, men. I wish that I could say that Gavin's years were amazing and full of hope and joy and love. But that simply wasn't the case. Eventually, I found somebody else. And boy, did I think he was the one. You know that story, right? Your eyes lock and he's your, he's your soulmate, right? I married him too. Got pregnant. Had another kid. And then I got sick. And I found out that that loving caring soulmate wasn't that at all. It was an act. And as I got sicker, he lost his patience. The biggest regret that I will ever hold with me is that while I was being abused, I became tolerable to my own son's abuse. I watched it. I watched it happen. I watched my child slip away. And he watched me die slowly. By that time, I had found opiate pain medication. 
and I used it. Oh, I numbed all of my pain. I used to snort those pills in front of my son. Didn't think twice. Why? I mean, I didn't really need a reason. But if I had to give one, it was probably because we lived in hell. It wasn't bad enough that was beating the shit out of us or cheating on me every single waking moment. He let his mom become abusive to us. And I can tell you that that was one of the worst feelings in the world. Knowing that by the time I got done getting my shit, my shit rocked from one, the other one was waiting. It was like a tag team, reigning champs. About four years ago, after the cheating and after the beatings, I found out that I was chasing this girl named and I couldn't figure it out, right? There was something about her. She was a heroin addict. My little mentally ill, traumatized brain very literally thought, oh, okay, well, I mean, he wants her and she does that and I'm already taking pills, so why not? He loved heroin addicted prostitutes. So I became exactly that. Want to know the irony in that? He still didn't want me anyway. (laughs) I still wasn't what he wanted. And I was never going to be. I tried to leave him time and time and time again. He would take my son and run. Maddox and I didn't miss weeks or months, missed years. And every time I would start to do well, you know, cause life would have to move on. I couldn't lay in my bed and cry forever. I'd get a job, I'd get clean. And here would come and Maddox. You see, I saved Gavin. I made him move to Illinois. Far, far away from me and the pain that I would keep inflicting on him. I knew I was just going to keep hurting him over and over and over again. My son's a musician an amazing one. And he wrote a song called Save Me. And it's a difficult listen. 
But if you can find the strength to get through it, you'll find that it saved my life. Literally saved my life. On November 6, 2020, I decided for the last time, never again. Never again was I going to be a punching bag. Never again was I going to sit in my bedroom after I put my kids to sleep and try and overdose. Never again was I going to have somebody look at me and tell me that I didn't even deserve to breathe the oxygen that was in my lungs. So I went and got clean. And when I got clean, I got pissed. I left rehab and I walked back into that hell one last time. It took me six months, the longest six months that I will ever live. And on May 19th, 2021, I was able to put my arm around Maddox and walk the fuck out of that door for good. Today, I am exactly 260 days sober and 66 days free. If you find that my story is your story, I invite you, reach out to me, get in touch. You can find me on Instagram at authentically.jesse. You'll find I have a women's meeting called Surviving Beauty. Why? Because there is beauty in surviving. If you're a survivor, you are the baddest motherfucker on the planet. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise, ever. My meeting meets every single day at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Zoom. I'm only ever a phone call, a DM, or a comment away. I'm going to wrap this up the same way I wrap my groups up. Alone, I cannot. Together, we absolutely can. We will, and we do recover. Alone, I can't. But together, we absolutely can. I'm absolutely right. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Jesse. Yeah. Thank you, Jesse. Sharing your story, getting so vulnerable. You know, I I, I saw Jesse on Instagram, you know, in the recovery movement that we follow on Instagram. Then I caught one of her lives. And um, she was talking so transparently. I just, I 
was hoping it. that we could get her on the show, and we did, and I'm, I'm very grateful. So, I love what do you think? Uh, honestly, can I go first? Yeah, I, no, I, I want to hear from you. So, Jesse, from mom to mom, um, your story connected with me on a very deep level, and I am proud of you. And I admire you for where you were and where you are. Um, keep being a voice and keep speaking your story because so many people need to hear it. Mm-hmm. So from that to that, other than that, I, I appreciate your authenticity, like you're saying. Um, and a couple things that really stuck out to me was the hurt people hurt people. Oh, yeah. Right? We mm-hmm. talked about the childhood trauma and all of that. And then um, being a mom at 17... I also had a daughter when I was, well, I turned 18 a week before I had her, but I was pregnant my junior year of high school. That's right. Um, so to hear the trials that you went through and all the pain, I, I can feel it with you. It's crazy. And um, you're an amazing woman. That's, yeah, that's about sure. all I can <laughs> say there. So Yeah, she, uh, she, she was absolutely amazing. Her story just blew me away. I really like that she's out there and she's telling it and mm-hmm. she's not afraid to to give all the details. Mm-hmm. Um, some of those were, you know, they were, I'm sure if they were difficult to listen to, that they were difficult to say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The stuff with her brothers and, and some of the stuff that was going on there and, and, you know, the family environment that she had at that time, it, it, it just seems so insane to me. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like I just want to. I just want to absolutely, you know, ask how could that, how, how, how are these situations created? Like, how are they, how are, they, how do we find ourselves like in these kind of environments? And, and it goes back to, you know, what we were talking about a little bit before is that, you know, her people hurt people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's no doubt that her family, her, her, her parents themselves had some sort of trauma and some sort of, um, abuse growing up. And so I think well, her, she said her dad was a narcissist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. well, and one of the, definitely something. one of the cool things that I really like that I've heard, you know, when people say to me is that one woman can literally change the lives of women underneath them in their family. Right. So because she's able to speak up, share her story, change the pattern of, not healing from your childhood, right? Not overcoming. She's literally breaking the pattern of hurt people, hurt people. So she's trying to change that for future generations within her family. So now her kids are going to know something different, even if their childhood was not perfect or perfect as people think, then, you know, she now is healing from her childhood, which is allowing her children to to heal. So then it's going to be a compounding effect. So she gets to help heal people just by owning her story and sharing it with the world. Yeah. And, and, and I can see that absolutely true. You know, I saw my dad get sober Mm. and, and as a direct result, my children have never seen me drunk. Mm -hmm. Right. That's amazing. Yeah. And so like I can see that, Mm -hmm. that direct correlation, you know, uh, healed people, heal people. Exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. Hurt people, hurt people and healed people, heal people. And, that's that's really what we're trying to do on this show is get the stories out there and get people like yourself on here mm-hmm. that are willing to share this stuff so openly so that people can go, well, I'm, I'm not alone. And these are these are some yeah. places where I can find mm-hmm. what I'm looking for as far as what to do. Yeah. You know, what what do I do? Because I identify with this story so much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're over here telling your 
uh, solutions to this stuff. But uh, that story is pretty powerful for me. It was very moving. And uh, I'll, I'll be honest, you know, listening to it was more impactful uh, than when I recorded. I was so engaged with, like, like getting my notes and everything when she was telling it to me. But when I sat down and, and actually listened to it um, as the recording, like, what we just did, um, very, very powerful and yeah. moving. And I'm like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To go through that and to be where you're at now is just amazing. It's incredible. Yeah. She's yeah. a powerful woman. I love it. I really want to hear the song. The, right? Yeah. Like, you, you've got to tell us how we can get that, Jesse. How can we hear the song that mm-hmm. was written? I, I feel like it, it was such an impactful part of uh, of your recovery. Like, I'm so curious. Mm-hmm. I want to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I, I, I love sometimes hearing the different things that, that really speak to us in, in those early days where... You know, for whatever reason, something something will touch us on a level that we thought we had lost access to, you know, and mm-hmm. it's, it's always something super surprising, something that will just catch us off guard. In your instance, Mama Bear, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in mm-hmm. my instance, you know, it's basically a, a, an appeal to, you know, me deciding whether I'm going to upgrade to heroin or whether I'm going to get treatment. And it was that moment for yeah. me, you know, that it was like, well, heroin sucks. So I guess I'll get treatment. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and you know, like for whatever reason, like we have these moments where something will speak to us to the point where we're really, we're ready to take the appropriate action uh-huh. and, mm-hmm. uh, you just never know what it's going to be. But yeah, it was great. Her story was absolutely wonderful, and um, and I can't wait to see what happens for her. Like I am oh, excited. Oh, she's going to change the world. Yeah, that lady is going to literally change the world, and it might not be the entire world, but it would be the world to some people, and yeah. that's all that matters. And the fact that she will continue to speak and continue to be vulnerable and authentic and share, that woman is literally going to change the world for sure. And. I got your back if you need some help. <laughs> there we'll you go. Nice. I got there you, you go. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Well, on that note, like let let everybody know where they can find you, Katie. Well, right here currently. <laughs> no, I mean we're so happy <laughs> to have you here. But when you're not when here, I'm not here. So I am. Um, Katie's Crazy is my website. It is linked to podcasts. Actually, the one that I was on with you guys is linked on there. Um, my podcast again is on hiatus at the moment. We're rebranding, doing everything, but that will come back up. Um, Instagram is redhead underscore four reels. F O R R E A L. LZ, not the number four. Um, (laughs) and then on Facebook, just Katie Hansen. Um, and it truthfully, like Jesse, if you want to chat, if you want to talk, if you want to team up and make an impact, let's do it. Um, literally anybody, anybody needs me. Anybody wants to talk. Anybody wants to do like, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I, I also want to change the world and make an impact. And I know that I will. And so the more people that I can help, the better for me. Well, you certainly yeah. helped me today. Uh, thank this you. Would, this would have been a very awkward conversation <laughs> with just me and Cameron. So thank you so much You're for coming so out. Of course. You know, I get so much out of these and, and, you know, I, I learned, you know, some, you know, your, your bit on, uh, if somebody does approach us, you know, mm-hmm. just say, I believe you and I'll be here. And, and that's, those are the biggest you know, words. Like, like that, is something that I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll keep with me in my toolbox for, I love it. for 
Good. The duration of my life. So good. thank you for that. Well, of course. Absolutely. Yeah, I can't great. thank you enough. Always so good to have you here. We hope thank that you'll you. come back again. You know me. Again and again. Over and, again. and over and over. Yep. Right. Yep. Great. Our special guest. So, what do you say we get out of here? It's hot in here. It is hot in here. I feel good, you guys. These guys, are crazy. these guys became best friends in between breaks. And <laughs> what are you talking about? You guys had this whole shit spree moment. <laughs> so, They're just fighting over with, me. It's fine. With that, fine. I told you putting her in the middle was a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> with that, remember you, David. <laughs> we will see you on the other side. Remember, you are worth the work, Katie. Yes. Say bye, however you like to you sign do your, off. Do your fill. Do your sign off. Give, oh, give your sign spell. off. All right, everybody. Remember to love with your whole heart. Love as often as you can, and share kindness with absolutely everybody. God, I love that. Also, we'll see you on the other side. <laughs> and you're worth the work. And see you on the what? other side. <laughs> <laughs> The Other Side of Hell is a do-it-yourself podcast. For more information, recovery resources, and contact info, check out our website at theothersideofhellpodcast.com. You can help us spread our message by liking and subscribing, giving us a follow, or a five-star rating.